Lord, we are eager to see the earth filled with your glory. And so come, Holy Spirit, teach us through your word, empower the preaching of your word. Lord, give us ears to hear and respond to what your spirit is saying to us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can open your Bibles to Matthew 25, and we're going to be looking at that first parable in verses 1 to 13. But before we read that, um, I'd like to just remind us a little bit about where we've been. Um, Last week, Pastor Dave preached an excellent sermon that I hope that you'll all go back and listen to again and again um, on Lesson 36 and the coming of the lawless one. And he talked about the rise of deception. And so this week, we're, the sermon and the gospel tool section that we're looking at in this year of discipleship is Lesson 35. And so we're um, going to pick up, and Lesson 35 started in that discipleship material that most of us that are part of this church are going through um, by looking at Matthew 24. And... Th- the um, chapter right before where we're going to be today, and it sets the context for today's sermon, but it also repeats some of the themes. So I just want to remind you some of the things that Matthew 24 um, taught us, that verse 9 said that there's an antichrist spirit that's going to fill the nations and it's going to result in persecution of the Christians. Verse 10, that there's going to be a great pressure that comes and many are going to fall away from the faith and turn on each other. Verse 11 talks about how that there'll be false teachers that rise up and teach false doctrine. They're um, straying from the truth. And Pastor Dave said one way we see evidence of that in the church and in the world today is in the teaching on human sexuality. And so um, straying from the truth and leading many astray. Verse 12 talks about how that um, as people cave to the pressure, the wickedness would rise and that there would be a hardening, um, a, a dying away of um, this passionate faith that we have in the Lord. And um, it may be that, it, that we, our love for God wanes and even our love for one another would wane under that pressure. And yet, verse 13 encourages us that even in this time of great pressure, the Lord helps the church to endure And in the midst of this pressure, verse 14 tells us that the gospel will continue to be proclaimed until all the people groups, all the ethnicities, the whole earth will hear the gospel and then Jesus will return. And so um, Pastor Dave reminded us that the gospel, the Christian, the the faith of Christianity has always been forward-looking, that we've been looking for Jesus' return. And that this time of hardship, um, the Lord warns us as a measure of his love and concern for us. He said, if, if you care about people, you give warning. And he talked about the hurricanes and how the warning was a, a means of giving, saving lives and showing love and concern. Right? You remember those things? Yeah? Did I summarize that? All right. Yeah. All right. Um, so this week we're going to look at... Thought unit number 35, and I'll read that for you. Yet Jesus promises a reward to all who overcome, to all through faithful endurance persevere to the end. This requires being prayerful, alert, and full of the Holy Spirit. 
because Jesus warns that his return will be preceded by a period of increased wickedness and great deception. During this period, the love of most will grow cold and many will turn away from the faith. They will betray and hate one another. And so, as you looked at scriptures in Lesson 35, you saw that God has given us directions on how ways that we can be prepared and persevere. And so, things like keeping our eyes on Jesus, staying alert and praying, asking God to strengthen us with power, praying for open doors and that when we proclaim the gospel that we'll speak it clearly as we should, that we draw near to God to help persevere, we hold on to hope, we cling to community, and we hold fast to the teachings of scripture. And so those were beautiful scriptures that remind us of things that we can do to be prepared and to endure and sustain. But sometimes, even if you know practices, it's hard to sustain them if they're separate from mission. And so let me try to explain with a couple of examples. Um, I watched some of my kids, like they, baseball, softball. All right, so I'm not an athlete. But if you're learning to play an, as an outfielder, all right, I know I'm on shaky ground when I'm giving an athletic illustration. But when you're trying to learn outfielding, you um, need a glove, and you need to learn to keep your eye on the ball, and you need to know different positions for catching, right? So if it's a pop-up, you need to have your glove here. If it's a grounder, you're down here, right? Um, but, and you need to run sprints because you need to be fast to get to wherever the ball's coming in the field, Right? But it's hard to, like, if, can you imagine standing for, like, days and hours on hours and weeks upon weeks standing going, okay, I go like this, or I go like this, or I run. You really, to be um, able to keep going on those practices, you want to be in the game. Because that's when they all get fully expressed. All right. Now, learning to play piano. All right, Anna Marie, you're a piano teacher. Um, but maybe many of you have taken some music lessons, and so you learn to read music. And you maybe learn to play chords. And then you play a run. You know, you learn, you practice your chords, your major keys, your minor keys. But how many of you were really eager to when you could finally play some piece of music that you recognized? Something that you sang in church or that you heard on the radio, you felt like you were really in it. Otherwise, it's hard to keep practicing when you're not engaged with the music that you hear. Well, in the same way, I feel like that all the practices for perseverance that God gives us find their fullest expression and will automatically be drawn on when we're engaged in making disciples and fulfilling the Great Commission. Just like with baseball, just like with piano, if all we were doing was praying and staying alert, but we never were engaged in mission, it might be hard to sustain those practices. And so, Matthew 24, 42, and then 44 to 46, kind of sets the context for today's sermon, and it says this, Therefore, keep watch. Can you say keep watch? 
because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. So also you must be ready. Say, be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them the food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant, those masters, wait, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. And so the idea of be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. All right. So what follows these exhortations, these commands, really, in 24 is chapter 25. And it's a series of three stories that Jesus told. And it tries to help give a a more full picture of what he's talking about, about stay on watch, be ready, be faithful. And so these parables, parable one is about ten virgins or ten bridesmaids. And we're going to look a lot more at this one in a few minutes. But the gist of it is everyone's responsible for their own preparation. Second parable, you see, is bags of gold. And the master entrusted servants with bags of gold to carry on his business while he's away. And there's going to be accountability when he returns. And so we're to use well what's entrusted to us. And then parable three is about sheep and goats. Sheep and goats. This is about serving others in need, and it shows that we're Jesus' disciple. We're the sheep if we're caring. And he says in verse 40, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. So can you see that there's some action with the bridesmaids that are to carry the the lamps? There's these bags of gold. And there's these sheeps and goats, and the sheep will be caring for and showing love and concern. So a summary of those three chapters might be like this. Jesus shows that the way to persevere through a very long and difficult season is to stay focused and engaged on God's mission. We see this incredible parental wisdom in our Heavenly Father, when he's calling us to stay engaged and stay focused. How many of you have ever gone on a long car ride and you got in trouble for bickering with somebody else in the car? Yeah? How many of you repeatedly said, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Or how many of you passed time in very non-helpful ways by drinking all the beverages that were packed in the cooler and then having to stop very frequently, or you ate all the snacks that were packed for the long car ride and then you got a stomach ache and maybe even got car sick or something, or you drank energy drinks and you were bouncing off the walls if your parents were crazy enough but thought they were getting the cool drinks and gave them to you, and then you were kind of causing trouble. Parents often help their kids make long trips by keeping them focused and giving them something to do. And so how many of you played the alphabet game? Yeah? Yeah? Or I spy and you're looking for something. You're engaging them and you're helping the time pass. Well, God's wisdom is to engage us on mission to help us persevere. All right. So let's get to Matthew 25, our text for today. Starting with verse 1. 
At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish one took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went out, went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So, the plot of this story is that there's a bridegroom, there's a bride that's implied but not spoken of, and there's ten bridesmaids or virgins. These bridesmaids would have been invited to serve based on relationship, right? You get invited to be in a wedding because you know either the bride or the groom. And the bridesmaids would all have duties. They were to have lamps, and they were to go out to meet the groom in this case and escort them back to the wedding and the feast. And the bridesmaids would have all agreed to be there. They weren't coerced. They agreed to serve, right? So they're to keep watch. There's eager expectation. Now, I've been told that there were some grandkids that were really, really excited about their grandparents coming to visit. I'm not going to name any names, but I just was told that they were very, very eager and excited. And they were saying, when are they coming? Oh, can I go to the airport? Can I please go to the airport? And over and over was this request to go to the airport because they were so eager to see grandparents that they had not seen for a couple of years. This is the eager expectation of waiting for that groom to come. They're longing for the groom to arrive in this story. Jesus is looking for a bride who's eager for his return as eager as he is to return toward her. Can you imagine how it would feel as a groom to hear your bride say, I hope he waits five years. I hope he doesn't come back until my grandkids are at least such and such an age. Like, oh, of course, the bridegroom would want the bride and the whole wedding party to be eager for this day. And so they're eager, they're longing for the groom to come. They're staying on watch, which means they didn't leave their post. They did fall asleep, but they were drowsy. It was a long, long time. It was late at night. But they didn't leave their post. And as soon as they heard that um, he is coming, they woke right up to the announcement. They got busy trimming their wicks, and they were trying to prepare their lamps to go fulfill their duty. And what a disappointment 
that some of them didn't have oil to keep their lamps going. The language of keeping watch would have reminded the hearers and the, reminds us of the role of prayer. All right, um, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Stay here and keep watch with me. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Even as we, church, prepare for what dark hour or hard season might be ahead, God calls us to keep watch and pray. He also calls us to be ready. I um, have a little niece that is uh, 11 years old, and she got invited to a sleepover with her cousins that are um, married and they're 27. And so she was Snapchatting pictures of her little duffel bag three days ahead of time saying, I'm packed, I'm ready. She was so eager. She had her whole little bag packed, and they had this all planned out, when they were going to meet and so forth. But every day until it was the time, she was Snapchatting, telling them that she was ready. Okay, were the bridesmaids ready in this story? Being ready means being prepared. And so we look at the lamps, and did the wise ones have lamps? Yes. Did the foolish ones have lamps? Yes, they had lamps. But did they have oil? Half did and half didn't. The ones that were foolish did not have the oil. All right, now let me just remind you, this story is written when there's no electricity. There's no street lights out here like we have at night. There's no lights of the city that kind of keep things brightened up. It's very, very dark in this context. And they weren't talking about the little clay lamps like, keep the light on for me, I'm coming, that would light up a room. No, they were talking about these big torches on sticks that had um, a cup and it had oil and a rag at the end. And those were what they would go out to like walk at night and to show a path and to bring brighter light. Those lamps had to be refilled with oil maybe up to every 15 minutes. They went through a lot of oil. So the reason that the others couldn't share is because if they did, then nobody would have had light because it took that much oil. And so they were saying, somebody has to go meet the groom. And so it wasn't a matter of not wanting to be kind and sharing. They weren't talking about filling up a little lamp like this. They were talking about torches that had to be refilled over and over and over again. Well, notice this preparation and our spiritual preparation for Jesus' return, it can't be borrowed or bought at the last minute. We can't live and expect to get in on the spirituality of our parents or our grandparents or our spouse or our friend. We each have our own relationship with God and we need to own it and we need to be prepared. Now the language of oil in the Bible is often symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And so if they needed to fill these torches every 15 minutes... I think the Lord's saying when it's dark and when it's a difficult season, be prepared because he says, don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be ongoingly filled. And so this idea of having the flask of oil and asking the Holy Spirit, fill me, fill me, fill me. Help me get through this dark night. 
The language of lamps and light also has that Old Testament connotation where the priests were responsible to keep the light going in the tabernacle all night long. They kept the lights going. Why? Because where it was very, very dark, but anybody from anywhere could look and see where God is in this dark time. In the New Testament, uh, oh, and um, Jacob even read a scripture about being light, and that was from the Old Testament. Then the New Testament, and um, we're to be a light, a city on a hill. We're to shine so that um, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So there's this idea that we ourselves are these torches that light the way in a dark, difficult season in the world, preparing for Jesus' return, for the groom to come. And then Jesus had said in um, chapter 24, and we're looking at this, be faithful. So not every bridesmaid was faithful to fulfill their duty because they weren't personally prepared. And so in this parable, those that were prepared and ready were able to meet the groom and greet the groom and be welcomed into this joyful celebration of the wedding feast. In the second parable here in chapter 25, with the bags of gold, the servants that were faithful, they took risks. They looked for opportunities to invest that gold so that they'd have a return when their master came back. And in the third parable about the sheep, the ones that were faithful were the ones that did anything that they had to to offer to faithfully serve those in need. So whether it was food or water or shelter or clothing or care or visits, they were showing love for others. And he says, if you've done something for the least of these, you've done it for me. So we all want to be prepared. We want to be faithful. We want to be ready. And as last week, Pastor Dave said, if the hurricane warning is put out, The time to put the boards on the house and over the windows is when the sun is still out. It's not right then in the crisis moment. Early preparation is when you hear warning and it saves lives and it um, eliminates a lot of suffering. And so it's been said that the safest thing we can do today is to obey God. And he's giving us these instructions of how to persevere, to be filled with the Spirit, to be in prayer, to be watchful, to be prepared. And those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying today. Because he's calling us. He gives every means of being faithful. If he calls us to be faithful, he'll help us to be faithful. Right? And so, in closing, I want to tell you a story. And... um, to show you this is what it looks like in real life. And I had one story in here, and last night I watched a one-hour program from Intercessors for America. Um, And through that program, I felt like the Lord was saying, actually, this story demonstrates what it's like to be watchful and to be ready and to be faithful And it actually kind of summarizes the three parables in 25, chapter 25 that we've looked at today, okay? So, um, this is what I heard. Yesterday marked the 20th year 
since 9-1-1 and the terrorist attack. I had gotten sent an email with a link to this Intercessors for America um, recorded prayer time by Mary Swearinga, and it had been a week or so, maybe even a little longer than that. And I had been wanting to watch it, and I couldn't get it to download. I couldn't get it to download. And finally, last night, I had some time. And I, I just kept feeling this nudge, like, you need to check this out. I looked at it. It was one hour, and I'm like, no way, <laughs> honestly. Like, one hour um, of something I didn't pick out to watch, and I don't like to watch things very much. But I started to watch it, and I just, I was like, oh, my goodness. This is a story that needs to be told. And it's about um, Chad Robichok. He's of the Mighty Oaks Foundation. He's a military vet, and I think he's had eight deployments with a lot of special ops training. He's a Christian, and along with many others, he was concerned about getting his interpreter out of Afghanistan recently. He was concerned for the man who had been so faithful and had risked his life over and over to save the other troops, the special ops people that were working together. And he just had it on his heart. I need this man to get out with his wife and his six children. That led to a coordinated effort. They weren't working outside of authority, but they were working alongside And he established a task force 6-8. And it was launched, and the name comes from scripture from Isaiah 6-8. Here I am, send me. So this small group of vets that had special training coordinated an effort with the Save Our Allies Coalition. And they um, needed funds to do this work and to do it quickly because the United States was withdrawing more quickly from Afghanistan. And God provided a million dollars in two weeks. The Lord helped them to set up um, an office in Washington, D.C. that did a lot of the coordination work. And then they met with the United Emirates government to get a military and commercial aircraft to work on getting these people out of Afghanistan, and then they sent a team into Afghanistan. They identified who they were going for. They were going for the couple and their children. There were 3,000 orphans that they learned of, and they said those orphans need to get out because, he said, the Taliban would teach the boys to hate and the girls would be sold into sex trafficking. They also identified at-risk women, widows, single women, and teachers that the Taliban would go after. And then they identified Christians for rescue. And he said that there's just a great concern about a genocide event potentially in the future. And so these were the people that they identified that they were going in after. When they got there, they saw that the military needed help at the airport because there were all these humanitarian efforts, planes that were being sent, but the military had all they could do to just try to navigate, you know, securing the airport and then trying to do all of the um, processing of people. And so the military was going to say, no, don't stop the humanitarian planes. We just can't coordinate all this. And they set up a one-point 
um, point of contact to coordinate all the humanitarian air flights. And so the military said, if you'll do this, we'll keep the, the humanitarian airplanes coming in. And so here they are, a small team. They've got three people outside of the fence. They've got one person inside the fence at the airport. They've got somebody that's coordinating all the humanitarian flights and helping the military with their efforts to evacuate. They were on the ground for eight days. During that mission, the noon, um, the first of all, the Intercessors for America texted, just pray for Afghanistan. They had gotten some second-hand or second, I forget what they, like second-level intelligence information. And so all they could say is pray for Afghanistan. Well, somewhere during this eight days while they were on the ground, we happened to have a noon prayer. We meet for prayer online every Wednesday at noon, and we ask the Lord, how would you have us pray today? And I think you might remember that we've mentioned this. It was unusual. Every single person had Afghanistan on our hearts that day. And so we prayed for um, miraculous escapes. We prayed for safety. We prayed for Christians. We prayed for people who were at risk. We prayed for the evacuees. We prayed for their long-term placement and resettlement. All these themes the Lord had us praying about, and we knew nothing about this team that was on the ground actually during this time that we were praying. And so God was directing our prayers, even though we didn't know about Chad and his um, Task Force 6-8, but God knew, and he had us on watch and praying. This one Christian who had on his heart, and then he established a team around him because he was such a... The things that struck me as I watched him, he was humble. He was very respectful of authority. He said, this was not a rogue thing, and please don't hear me. We weren't being rebellious against the military. We were working in coordination and alongside this man. He was watchful. He was ready. And listen to this. They evacuated 8,911 human beings, 3,000 additional with other organizations, and then with the organization of the humanitarian flights, a total of 31,000 people were evacuated because of their faithfulness. And Chad said, if you see a need and you have the ability to do it, you should do it. We are Christians. We have a heart to do the right thing. Church, one person strapping on the parachute and leaning back and saying, okay, yes, Lord, use me. And look what God would do. He's asking us. He may not be asking us. To go over, we don't have the, um, we don't, can you imagine all the skills that he had to have? And the leadership and the network that he had with other countries. But he had a part to play. He used what talents, what bags of gold he was given. And he was faithful with it. 
we had been given guidance from the Lord to pray. We were faithful with our bags of gold that day, and we prayed. And the Lord counts us faithful. And so no matter what we face, there's a part that we play in it, church. And the Lord helps us to persevere no matter how hard the thing might be that we face individually, that we face in our nation, that we face in the world. He gives us these things to encounter. When we encounter evil, we keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep watching and praying, drawing near to him in every situation. We ask for the Father's heart about a matter. We're ready. We're full of God's word so that the Holy Spirit can be bringing it to our mind. They brought, he brought that Isaiah passage to their mind. Here I am, send me. Right? He was being guided by scripture. He'll guide us by scripture. He tells us, be full of the Holy Spirit, inviting him to rule over you, your emotions, your will, your mind. Just like the fruit of the Spirit, we need the fruit of the Spirit, we need the gifts of the Spirit, everything that we can to be a light to the world. Being faithful and obedient to his commission to go and make disciples, to stay in the game. We're not just fielding balls or playing chords. Friends, we're in it to win it. Because we're looking forward to that day when Jesus returns and this feast and this joyful celebration of all the people that God will gather in as the gospel covers, goes to the ends of the earth and his glory covers the earth. And I want to say today, expect him to give you strength and courage. When we're persevering, this is not a week like we're underneath a chair just... Like, I just feel like the Lord's saying, you're going to be strong and you're going to be courageous because I am with you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you um, prepare us because you love us and that you didn't leave us as orphans. You've sent your Holy Spirit and you've left us your word. And Lord, I pray that your word would sink deeply into our hearts today and stir us toward your purposes on earth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.